turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. Pleased to be joined by John Law, president of the Crime Prevention Research Center, former senior advisor for research and stats at the U.S. Department of Justice's Office of Legal Policy and author of Gun Control Myths, as well as More Guns, Less Crime. John Law, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. It's good to talk to you again. Thanks for having me on. Uh, So one of the uh, topics coming out of the Kyle Rittenhouse trial and his acquittal is uh, is certainly about guns and, you know, the age and the rifle and the usual things. Uh, But uh, it's also interesting that the left feels emboldened to talk about how we need to rethink self-defense laws in this country. They now want to go after stand-your-ground laws, which exist in the majority of the states. Yeah, well, um, the interesting thing to me about the stand-your-ground laws is that they're most frequently used by uh, minorities who live in poor, high-crime areas because they're the ones who are most likely victims of violent crime. Uh, So... You know, as with so many different types of actions the Democrats take with regard to guns, uh, they end up doing things that make it more difficult for the people who actually benefit the most from having the option to be able to go and defend themselves to be able to go and do so. Uh, the things that they do to make it more costly, more difficult. I mean, in, in Illinois, uh, the state that claims that it cares about minorities, because you Democrats running everything, it costs $400 to go through the process to get a concealed handgun permit. Uh, you compare Illinois to Indiana. Uh, Illinois only has about 4% of the adult population with a concealed handgun permit. Neighboring Indiana has over 21% with it. Um, and there's a simple reason for that. In, in Illinois, it's very costly to get it. In Indiana, it's $12.95 to be able to go and get a permit. Mm. Um, up until very recently, Chicago uh, made it so that uh, there wasn't even a training facility in the in the city. Uh, they banned it on public transportation, even if you had a permit. And so if you're a poor black who lives in Chicago... Uh, even if you could afford the $400, if you didn't have a car, you'd have to go and borrow a car on multiple days, either two or four days, to travel way outside the city in order to get the training necessary for the 16 hours to get the permit. And you look at who gets permits in those places. Uh, in Illinois, it's primarily wealthy white who live in the suburbs. In Indiana, you see many more permits given to people who live in zip codes, which are relatively poor, and uh, and are minority. Well, and um, speaking of Chicago and crime and uh, being able to protect yourself from 
predators that uh, exist, as well as those who we had a chance to cage and decided to turn back out on the streets, as we like to do in Chicago and other towns like Philadelphia. So Chicago is uh, has more people shot this year than they did last year, I and mean, we were up north of 50% of both shootings and murders last year. 4,233 total shot this year, 787 homicides. We'll pass last year's total of homicides, too, so it'll be up again year over year. Uh, Philadelphia just set a record what? Five, with its 501st murder. That's a record that dates back to 1990 in Philadelphia. And uh, interesting thing that they have in common, a lot of things in common, Democrat, dom- Democrat, socialist dominated, but also the prosecutors, Larry Krasner and Kim Fox right. are cut from the same cloth. They're two Soros funded non-prosecution prosecutors. Exactly. No, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's not rocket science that we're talking about here. When you have an arrest rate for murders in Chicago, that's like 20 percent. When you have even the one, and and that's on average, uh, gang murders are solved at a lower rate than than on average. Uh, so a gang murder uh, is even less likely than that to be arrested. And then you have uh, the DA there refusing to prosecute many people. You just had a case, of, I guess it was about a month ago, where you had uh, two rival drug gangs fighting it out in daylight. Uh, caught on video there, high-definition video. You had police witnessing it. Uh, You had one person killed and three people wounded. And the district attorney refused to file charges against, uh, against the perpetrators there. First of all, I mean, one statement from the district attorney's office there was that, well, it was mutually agreed to combat. Uh, that was we have occurring. that here. Yeah, right. Mutual no, combatants. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. There was a video of a kid from Schaumburg killing a kid from Palatine, and Kim Fox didn't prosecute him because, like, no, they agreed to have a fight. Well, no, one brought a gun and one had a knife. So guess who won? Well, it's we, we handle it. We handle it in Chicago, a place like Philadelphia. Like it's it's like sport. It's like the Coliseum. That's how we do crime control here. Well, you know, uh, people want to go and blame it on lots of other things, but to me, it's very simple. That if you make it so it's not risky for criminals to go and commit crime, uh, they're going to commit a lot more crime. And uh, you know, you have to get rid of a lot of the politically correct restrictions you have on policing there. Uh, you know, the forms and other things that police have to spend their time filling out whenever they go and talk to people uh, is just crazy. I mean, it's, that's well, a rule, for example, that Rahm Emanuel had put in place right. when he made an agreement with the ACLU. And, uh, uh, you know, it's, you know, and I guess uh, this last year uh, they cut like 400 uh, positions from the police department uh at the same time, I they I guess they spent millions of dollars uh, protecting Lori Lightfoot and stuff. It's just crazy things that are going on. And uh, and the thing is, who Democrats claim that they care about poor, that they care about minorities, but who who do they think are overwhelmingly the victims of these crimes that are occurring? That they're not deterring, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And it's not just. The direct victims there, uh, the businesses, of course, now you're having even businesses in, in very nice areas in Chicago being destroyed. But, 
you know, who do they think primarily works in those areas? What, who owns a lot of those companies? Who owns houses and property in those areas that are being uh, reduced in value because of the crime? It's overwhelmingly poor minorities that are being harmed. Well, it's clearly uh, not registering a, a commentary you did for RealClearPolitics.com, uh, looking at some polling on attitudes towards uh, protecting oneself, towards being able to lawfully own a gun and protect yourself as needed. Uh, support for gun control dropping overall, but it's up among those Democrat socialists, so they're incorrigible. Yeah, we've seen uh, there are several polls that have come out recently by Gallup, Quinnipiac, Rasmussen, and they all show a similar pattern. Uh, Gallup and Quinnipiac show about a 15 percentage point drop in support for gun control over the last five years, uh, driven primarily by independents moving against uh, stricter gun control. Uh, you, you know, you'd think that Democrats might rethink their position, but support among Democrats has soared. Uh, 91% of Democrats in both the Gallup and the Quinnipiac poll support even stricter gun control laws. Uh, In the Quinnipiac poll, by contrast, only 13% of Republicans support stricter gun control. Those are the largest partisan gaps on the issue. And, you know, Democrats often will claim that they support reasonable or common-sense gun control laws. If you look at some of the issues that are brought up in these polls, uh, Gallup, for example, asks, uh, do you support a complete ban on handguns for civilians? Uh, 40% of Democrats support a complete ban on civilians owning handguns. Mm-hmm. Uh, only 6% of Republicans do. If 80% of Democrats support a ban on semi-automatic rifles. I mean, it's just, I mean, I'm not even sure whether or not they understand some of the terms that are being used there. But um, uh, it, it doesn't another, matter. If, yeah. It, it doesn't matter if they understand it or not. You know what their disposition is. And you know, by the way, too, who's driving that party. And it's that 40 percent. That's that. That's where the that's where the the momentum is in that party. Right. Well, I mean, it's going to be hard for Democratic politicians to move away from their strident rhetoric. Um, You know, uh, I guess I've become convinced over time that the goal of these gun control pushes that they're making is really just to get rid of all the guns that are there, uh, despite their claims about reasonable or common sense type rules. I mean, just look at some of the things that the Biden administration's been pushing. The uh, person that they've nominated to be uh, controller of the currency uh, wants to have what she calls debanking, uh, which uh, uh, those parts of uh, industries, which she claims are socially suboptimal industries, which include things like the oil industry as well as firearms makers and sellers, uh, she wants to force uh, financial institutions not to do business with them. You know, try running a company if you can't get somebody to handle the credit cards for your customers or provide lines of credit or check cashing or other things that financial institutions do. Uh, you know, Biden uh, keeps on talking about 
uh, this zero tolerance policy that he wants to have for rogue gun dealers. You know, nobody wants uh, gun dealers secretly selling guns out of the back of their stores to criminals, but that's not what is being gone after here. That's what now what the zero tolerance thing's doing. Well, you They're know, the thing that you make. Yeah, the, the thing too about it is, you know, they want to get rid of guns. They they want to get rid of guns like they want to get rid of COVID. It's an impossibility, and and I think they know that. So uh, there's an ulterior motive here. I mean, obviously, it's straight partisan politics based on those numbers in terms of the base of that party. But it's also ultimately comes down to control, and you have these crime-ridden r- uh, neighborhoods uh, where, as you were rightly pointing out, disproportionately the poor and disproportionately minority are most heavily negatively impacted. And yet, what is their consequence? They dominate, Democrat socialists dominate the public offices in every major city in the country. So why not keep it up? Why not double down? Well, it makes people even more dependent upon the local politicians there if they have no option to go and defend themselves. Exactly. Exactly. He is John Lott, president of the Crime Prevention Research Center, former senior advisor for research and stats at the university, uh, the university at the U.S. Department of Justice's Office of Legal Policy, the author of books including Gun Control Myths and More Guns, Less Crime. John, thanks as always for joining us. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership programs offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today. This is Jerry Boyer of Town Hall Finance for townhall.com. Jack Dorsey has announced the end of his second tenure as CEO of Twitter, saying, there aren't many founders that choose their own company over their ego which, of course, is a claim dripping with ego. But his self-praise is not well-deserved. Dorsey has presided over a series of unforced errors at Twitter, including a pattern of political bias that has put the company and even the industry at risk of severe political and regulatory backlash. Dorsey was understandably under pressure from shareholders to resign, partly due to his tarnishing of the brand, but also to the fact that he seemed to neglect his job responsibilities in favor of various personal distractions. Shareholders want a CEO who puts their interests ahead of his hobbies. Dorsey, like the tweets over which he presided, suffers from too much of a character limit. I'm Jerry Boyer. The Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy, for those considering careers in politics and policy.